super excited because Janice is going to be speaking to us. Janice. All right, great. Good morning. All right, you're not going to get a Mother's Day message, but you're going to get a mother delivering a message. How about that? <laughs> All right. Is it up there? Yep. Okay. Um, all right, I'm going to pray before I get started here. Father, I just thank you. Um, I just thank you for the joyous sounds that we hear even now, the sounds of children. I just thank you that that's music in your ears. I just thank you for your presence here with us today. Just like that song we just sang, um, you know, um, we're longing for your presence. We just want you today, Lord. We want you. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come. I know that you're here, but I ask that you would come even more. In fact, I ask that you would ask you would come all the way, Lord. We want you to come all the way. And you would come and speak to us today and let your words take flight in our lives and in our hearts. So I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to give you um, a message today. Is tilted all back a little, a little bit? It seems like flat, flat. Okay. Yeah. Okay, sorry. That's good. That's good. Okay. All right. Um, so I want to give you a message today, um, which I believe uh, the Lord has given to me concerning where we all are right now. Um, this message was born out of, you know, what we've experienced, um, especially this last year, um, and my dialogue with God concerning it, um, specifically about all the death that seem to be surrounding us and that the world is experiencing. Um, I know personally I had four family members die this last year. Um, you know, only one of those was from COVID. Uh, the others were from other causes. But I've also had um, friends die. I've had friends, family members die. Um, it just seems like, you know, um, every almost every few weeks I'm bumping into somebody who's had a family member or a friend or somebody's near death. Um, so in di my dialoguing with God, I began to hear a portion of scripture running through my head. And, and before I even get going, I didn't tell you the, the title of my message is the priesthood and the presence defeating death. Okay. So, um, like I said, in my dialoguing with God and, and just thinking about all this, I begin to hear a portion of scripture run through my head. And that portion of scripture was, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. So the first thing I want you to understand about the Jordan River and why the Holy Spirit would have, you know, spoken this scripture to me is because the Jordan River is symbolic of death. 
And the Old Testament, you know, is full of symbolism related to Christ, believers, the new covenant, kingdom of God. And the river of Jordan is symbolic of the New Testament believers' passage through death, unscathed by it, but into, you know, eternal life or into the promised land or heaven. There's a lot of symbolism in that, okay? So when I looked up this passage of scripture, I actually found that it, this particular portion is in the context of the Israelites crossing over the Jordan River into the promised land. And it, it's in Joshua chapter 3. Um, so the, and the Lord spoke to me when I went to read this passage, and he said that this is where the body of Christ is prophetically right now, that we are at that same position that the Israelites found themselves. We're standing on the shore of the Jordan, okay? We're standing there at the shore of the Jordan, which represents death, with the, with the passage to the other side that we need to make to get to the promises of God, to get to the promised land. And I, I feel like it's not only for here and now, because, you know, the kingdom of God is here, okay? And the kingdom of God is within us, but the kingdom of God is also coming, all right? The king is coming to the earth, and he's bringing his kingdom with him, and that's the millennial kingdom. So I believe that we are standing at the shore in several ways for our lives here now and for our life to come with him, okay? So it's here, and it's for the future that we're standing here. Okay, and also I want you to notice this passage of Scripture says the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. Um, and so I believe as we are standing on the shores of this bank of the Jordan, we are, have now entered into the time of harvest. And I want to take you to a scripture that talks about that. It's in Matthew, Matthew 13. And it's 36 through 43, and it says, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And he's just told the parable of the wheat and the tares, okay? And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. Okay, so I believe that's where we have come. We're not quite there yet, but I do believe that we are entering the end of the age before the millennial kingdom. And the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I believe that we have come to a time of culmination in the ages. All right? I believe that actually, you know, it started back in the Garden of Eden. There were two trees in that garden. And if you've never read Rick Joyner's book, There Were Two Trees in the Garden, I highly recommend it because it will explain a lot of things to you. <laughs> but there were two trees. There was the tree of life, and then there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, okay? 
And I believe both of those trees through the centuries have been sowing seeds and bearing fruit, okay? And this is where you have the sons of the wicked and you have the sons of the kingdom. And they've both been growing together. And also all the things in our lives for generations, they have been going together. I believe the good, you know, or I would rather say the righteous because good, you know, unless it's the righteousness of God, it's not the goodness of God, okay? But the righteous things and the things that are evil have been growing. And I believe that's why you were seeing so much out there, okay? Because we are coming to that time of harvest when those things are going to be harvested, okay? We're going to have a harvest of what is evil, and we're going to have a harvest, a full crop of what is righteous, okay? Um, and I also believe, you know, it's that the enemy at this time, he wants to take as many down with him as he can. <laughs> and... Um, I know it says in Revelation that he's come down to earth because he knows his time is short, all right? And that he has great wrath. And I believe that we can see this because we're seeing so much death. And not only when I say death, I'm not just talking about physical death. I'm also talking about the things that make for death, all right? Sin is death in the making, okay? Its end is death, all right? So that's why we're seeing all those things coming forth. Um, but we, the righteous, as this says, oh, you know what? I didn't give y'all that second slide, did I? Sorry about that. <laughs> we, the righteous, as it says, will shine forth at this time. All right. I believe that's in the, in the kingdom to come. Yes, we're going to shine forth, but I believe we're supposed to be shining now. And this passage from Isaiah supports that it says, for behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. And this scripture passage is, continues and it says, The Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. This is who we're supposed to be. We are supposed to be lights. <laughs> We are supposed to be salts. That's what Jesus said, right? You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. We are also supposed to be those who have in us Christ, the hope of glory. That, that we're supposed to have what the world needs, okay? We're supposed to have the answers, basically. And I, I, I sincerely believe that. The longer I live, the more I see that, too. Because I see that so many of man's things do not hold the answers, they leave so many people still in a place of bondage, you know, dependent on maybe a pill to, you know, be able to function. I, I've just seen so many things where I'm like, okay, God, we need your kingdom. We should be the people. You know, this last year with COVID, we should be the people. We should be the people who have the answer. We should be the people who stop this. Um, I, I believe that um, this shaking and everything that's gone on, God has allowed it because it has revealed our deficit, okay? It has revealed that. And, and I'm not trying to, you know, be like, you know, a downer, but just on the whole, the body of Christ is deficit right now in this area, okay? Um, 
I know there's a lot of controversy over, you know, the vaccine and mask and all of that. But it's a little disheartening to me when I even turn on the Christian radio and it's all, the answer is all vaccines. It's all vaccination, <laughs> you know, instead of, you know, the healing of God, you know, the, that, that we, have, we have a hope. So I believe that this Joshua chapter 3 passage that, you know, the Lord gave me that phrase out of, it holds the major keys to who we are and how we're to prepare ourselves on these shores of death and how actually we are to overcome death and cross over and help others to cross over, all right? So I want to go to this um, third chapter. It's kind of lengthy. I've got it on the slides here, but we're just going to read through it. Okay. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priest, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive up out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. And I just want to, this isn't in my message, but I just want to stop there because there's so much in this. This whole passage has so much in it. <laughs> you could preach multiple messages. But I just, when I, when I read that list, I just have to say, you know, my, my background being medical, <laughs> it's funny that anything that's inflammatory in the Bible, it, I mean, in the, in, in the medical community it, and in your body is called an itis. <laughs> so I thought it's really funny that these are all ites, okay? <laughs> They're all ites. All right, so I think we can kind of take that, I take that very symbolically, too, of everything that would torment the physical body of, of Christ, okay? All right, so verse 11. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe, and it shall come to pass... As soon as the soles of the feet of the priest 
who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. So it was, when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priest who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, and this is that phrase that the Holy Spirit told me, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap, very far away at Adam, okay, and that's a whole nother <laughs> sermon there. Death was rolled back all the way to Adam, the city that is beside Zaratan. So the waters that went down into the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, or the Dead Sea, failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. It is the priesthood carrying the presence of God that defeats death. This is who we are all meant to be, priests of the Lord who defeat death. I want us to look at a few verses defining us as priests of the Lord. First one from 1 Peter 2.9, it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then this one from Revelation. And from Jesus Christ that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And this idea of us being priests is actually reiterated several times in Revelation, talked about that we are that kingdom of priests. But what most don't realize, this wasn't a New Testament paradigm, okay? The first mention of those believing of, in God as being a priesthood is actually in Exodus. And it's where uh, Moses had taken, you know, the people out into the wilderness and he had taken them to Mount Sinai to meet with God. And this is what God says to them. He says, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So this was the original plan of God, that Israel would become a whole kingdom of priests. He had, at this time, he had not delineated the Levites as the priesthood. He was offering them all to become priests, but they missed it. Okay, and that's a whole message, another message for another time. 
but they missed it, okay? Um, and so the priesthood passed as a whole only to that tribe of Levi. But with Jesus, there came a change of the priesthood. It shifted from Levi, okay? Because Jesus was not a priest after the genealogy of man. He was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek in the Bible, who was an eternal priest. And Jesus, as that, as an eternal priest, who himself is perfect, he offered himself as the perfect sacrifice once for all, for all sin, okay? And he once for all perfected us so that we also become priests who will live forever and be priests in the order of Melchizedek, okay? And again, that's a whole, that's a whole other <laughs> message, too, in itself. But um, we can get a clue, though. Okay, so we're, we're supposed to be priests. All right, that's the bottom line of what I'm telling you. We are supposed to be priests. We are supposed to have the presence of God moving in that with the ability to defeat death and the things that make for death for ourselves and for others, okay? So we can get a clue. So we say, okay, well, what is a priest? You know, what, what, what does that look like for me to be a priest? And I, I feel like we get a clue of the priesthood by looking at the descriptions in the Old Testament and the function of the priest there. Okay, and here's two passages of scripture that wants to look at. Deuteronomy 10, 8, and uh, Numbers 3, 31, okay? This one from Deuteronomy 10, 8. At that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord to serve him, and to pronounce blessings in his name as they do to this day. And then Numbers 3, 31. And their charge, talking of the priest, shall be the ark, and the table, and the candlestick, and the altars, and the vessels of the sanctuary wherewith they minister, and the hanging, and all the service thereof. So the first responsibility of the priest listed was the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, and this is where, um, you know, the very presence of the Lord dwelled. He dwelled over the top of the mercy seat. And this is representative. Everything that you see in the tabernacle is representative of the heavenly throne room, okay? And, the, and, and God's throne there and what is around his throne there. So everything that you see from the Old Testament, they made symbolically to represent that. So this is where the very presence of the Lord dwelled. And the cherubim that's, that covered it, you can see the angels up there in their wings. I love that image because now when, when I go to pray, I, I picture myself there. Because you know those scriptures that talk about um, that he will hide us under the shelter of his wings? Well, I believe this is that place. It's that place of coming before his throne and coming under that covering that place where the blood has been sprinkled and it covers us. It's a place of safety. It's a place that we can pray from and we can, you know, be with the Lord and it's in, in commune with him in a safe, covered place. Okay, so um, at that time, there was a curtain, of course, in the tabernacle. And most of you probably know this layout. There was a curtain separating 
this, which was in the Holy of Holies, the holiest place where God's presence was from the inner court of the holy place. But of course, then during Jesus, his death on the cross, we're told that by his sacrifice, that he made a new and a living way for us, that this veil that had been separating the priest from the presence of God, except for once a year when they would go in to make atonement, was rent and it was opened up. And, you know, that's because now we can pass right into that presence of God. We can pass right into that place because our sins have been covered. They couldn't go in there because they, you know, they had atonement for themselves. They had to make atonement for the people. And they were only allowed to do that once a year. But Jesus has done that once for all of us. He went into the heavenly tabernacle after he died and sprinkled his blood there before the throne of God, the throne of God for us so that we can come that place of boldness before the Lord. Um, it was also called the Ark of the Covenant because it contained within it the tablets of stone which God wrote his covenant on with the Old Testament people. And, um, you know, now God has written, of course, a new covenant, and he's written it on a living stone, right? He's written it on Jesus, the chief cornerstone. And also now, we are actually that temple of God. We are that place where he dwells. He dwells within us. We are to be that habitation. And it's very important, this about covenant, and it's important where the priest carried it. You know, as you saw in that first picture that I showed, they were carrying it on their shoulders. And that's significant because the shoulders represent a place of government. And um, you can see this directly in, in reference to Jesus in Isaiah 9. And there's the picture you can see of the priest carrying, carrying the Ark of the Covenant. So they've got the covenant on their shoulders. And it says of Jesus, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And we, as New Testament believers, like Christ, are to carry the government of God. You know, it's kind of become a buzzword almost right now, the, the ecclesia of God. You know, that the church becoming the ecclesia. And I don't know if y'all heard much about that, but that word ecclesia is actually a governing body. And that we are supposed to carry that government of God on our shoulders, that presence of God with us wherever we go. We're supposed to have that authority. And how you have that authority is understanding and knowing that covenant. It's very important that we understand our New Testament covenant. And again, that's a whole other message. <laughs> but I would encourage you to study the book of Romans, to study the book of Hebrews. And there's a, a wonderful book that, that I read um, called, the. Uh, um, let's see, got a little ahead of myself, Revealing the Power of um, the Scar Miracle of the Scarlet Thread, Revealing the Power of the Blood of Jesus from Genesis to Revelation by Dr. Richard Booker. Because understanding your covenant is a very empowering thing. It would be a very, it, it, it will empower you to overcome the enemy because the enemy, this, I believe this is a place, and I especially see it a lot of times when I go to pray for people, 
and I think with myself too, a place where the enemy beats down the body of Christ and making us very sin conscious, where we're always, you know, like this, <laughs> looking, oh, do I got sin, do I got sin? You know, if you understand your new covenant, then you understand it's covered. Jesus has got it covered, okay? And then that frees you up. That frees you up to move because if he can accuse you, that's who he is. He's the accuser of the brethren. And, and I want you to look at this scripture. Uh-oh, something happened. We lost it. Ah, I don't know what happened there. Have I lost it? <laughs> Oops. <laughs> okay, let's see if it'll come back. No signal. Okay, go back. We're not quite there. Okay, while she's doing that, I'm going to go ahead and read to you. Revelation 12.10. So if you get to that place where I'm reading Revelation uh, 12.10. It says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. So do you see what comes when the enemy who accuses, he accuses you of sin, he accuses you of things. Do you see what happens when he's cast down? When he's cast down, what comes? Salvation, strength, the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ come when the enemy is cast down. Now, he wants to stand there and accuse you like it says, day and night. That's what he wants to do. But when we know our covenant, when we know what Jesus has done with us and we carry that, on our shoulders, then we walk in the authority of the government of God, just like the Old Testament priests carrying it. We carry that because you know it says it would level cities, okay? They marched around Jericho carrying that. It brought the walls down, okay? It, when they went into the Jordan with it, it split the waters, okay? It drove death back all the way to Adam, all right? Um, so, I want to move from that to the table. Ah, good, it's back. Is it working? Ah, there we go. So the, the next thing in Numbers it talks about that they have charge of was the table, the table of showbread. All right, um, or it's also the literal word for that, the bread. The, it was called, God called it the bread of presence, was the bread of face. All right, that was the literal word for it. And it was symbolic of face-to-face -face communion with God, fellowship with him. You know, it talks about Moses. It said when he met in the tent of meeting with God, he met with God face-to-face. -face. And my favorite New Testament scripture to describe this kind of interaction is actually, um, <laughs> there we go, it's actually from Revelation. Um, Revelation 3.20, where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. It's like what I like to call in French, they call it a tete-a-tete, -a, -tete, a very intimate conversation. That Jesus wants to have an intimate fellowship with you. And, and I like, I put the new, new living up here because it says, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. And that's that place of communion that he wants us to have. And there's also a very important aspect of this place of meeting face-to-face. -face, and that aspect is that it is a place of transformation. All right? Um, let's look at this scripture. 
<clears throat> and I love that picture, standing there, Jesus, the presence of the Lord. <clears throat> but we all looking on the glory of the Lord with unveiled face are transformed according to the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Lord, the Spirit. Because it's in this place, this place of coming to the Lord as a priest, communing face to face with him, that we become as Christ in this world. That's what changes us. Because we behold him, we become like him. Um, I, I didn't make a slide for this scripture, but Acts 4.13, it's when, um, you know, in Acts, and when people are seeing what it says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. When you've been with Jesus face to face, you're going to be transformed, and you're going to begin to look like him. You're going to be, begin to act like him and, and speak like him. And I, I want to take a little aside here because when I was, uh, after I'd done this, I was thinking, okay, Lord. Um, when, when um, it says that the face of Jesus reflects the glory of God, and, it, and as we behold that, we also are changed into that same image, into that same glory. Our faces, like Moses, y'all remember in the Old Testament, when Moses came down off the mountain, he'd been with God, his face glowed. But it faded away because it was an old covenant. We have a new covenant, though. And we get in his presence, and our face change. And we begin to reflect the image of God. And the scripture actually says that the enemy does not want our faces to reflect the image of God. It says, because if people could see the glory of God in the face of Jesus, and you become the face of Jesus, you are the face of Jesus right now. He's not here, so we're the face of Jesus. It says that then people will be enlightened. They'll get salvation. And so I'm going to tell you, I believe the Lord told me in prayer one day that this is what this is all about. enemy wants to hide the glory of God in the face of his people because we reflect that glory and the enemy does not want people to see the glory of God because if they are they are transformed themselves it's a transforming thing it will transform them so the enemy is trying to stop it he does not want us reflecting the glory of God and one other thing that um I was thinking about this. Um, you know, in, in the Old Testament, it would say, God told, God told Moses, you know, you, nobody can see my face and live, but yet he told the psalmist to seek my face. He told David to seek my face, and David said, I will seek your face. You know what I think it is? I think it's because if Moses had seen his face, he would have been so transformed, he would have been translated. He would have been changed completely because it says that when we see the Lord, when we when we pass over and we see the Lord, it says we will be like him. We, we can't stay in our body any longer, you know. And I believe that's what's going to happen to a generation of people that are going to be translated. That are going to be caught up because they are going to so behold the face of God. It's going to transform them. And they're going to be like Enoch. A generation of people who walked with God and were not because they were taken they were translated. We will be translated and changed into his image. So I get really excited about that. <laughs> okay, the next charge listed 
for the priest was the was the candlestick okay and it represents communion and the infilling with the Holy Spirit and the seven spirits of God. You know, they had, it was filled with oil. Oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And they kept it burning. And these seven spirits of God are listed as rest, resting upon Jesus in Isaiah 11. And they're also supposed to rest upon us. Oh, they went, okay. There we go. It's going to see if it was going to change again. <laughs> um, here it says of Jesus, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And, you know, Jesus said it was actually to our advantage that he would go away because he would send us the Holy Spirit. And he has given us his spirit. The same spirit that resides on Christ now resides upon us. And it says in John 3.34, For he whom God has sent speaks the word of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. Jesus had the spirit of God without measure, without limit. We're to be like Christ in this world. I believe that just as him, we can have the spirit without measure. I believe, again, it comes from that place of presence. It comes from that place of being transformed into his image that you can get the spirit without measure. Because what does the scripture even tells us? It says, greater things are we going to do than Jesus did. Greater things than what Jesus did. So somehow <laughs> we're supposed to be walking in the same stuff and even greater stuff. Um, and this is that's that's our goal. All right. The next thing that it says that the priests did, they attended the altars. Now, in the outer court, those altars, that's where the sacrifices were made. But for the New Testament believer, there's not, you know, a sacrifice for sin anymore. But we do have sacrifices that we make. First of all, we become living sacrifices, like this says in, in uh -oh, Romans 12.1. It says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies... A living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Um, and then there's another. There we go. Thank you. Hebrews says, therefore, by him, let us continue, continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So... Um, those are things, sacrifices that we make. Again, Jesus has already made all the sacrifice for sin. We don't make a sacrifice for sin anymore. We can't add to his work in any way. But there was another altar that was in the inner court. It wasn't in the outer court that the priest attended. And it was the altar of incense. There we go. Now here the priest offered a special mixture of incense to the Lord both in the morning and in the evening, and its smell would fill the inner court. Um, and this altar in the Old Testament, it was positioned just outside the Holy of Holies. You know, there was that veil, like I said, with just the Ark of the Covenant, and on this side of it, directly opposite of it, was this um, altar of incense. It was the closest point they could get to the Holy of Holies at that point. But again, now that veil is rent. Okay, 
And this altar of incense, you, you can see what this is about because, again, it's a, it's a type of the heavenlies, okay? This altar is actually in heaven, and Revelation tells us that. And here in Revelation 8, 3, 4, it says, Another angel came and stood at the altar, the altar of incense, in heaven, holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense went with the prayers of the saints, went up before God out of the angel's hand. And so this is going on in the heavens. Our prayers as priests of God are going up there and they are there at that altar of incense. I also believe as we spend time with the Lord, that we actually become perfumed with his presence at that altar of incense. And let's look at a scripture there. You got it? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Um, to be able to spread the knowledge of him, which it says that we spread the fragrance, the fragrance of the knowledge of him, we got to know him. And that, again, comes from spending that time with him. Then after we spend that time, we will diffuse that fragrance everywhere we go. So I want to go back to that Deuteronomy 10.8 um, slide that I showed earlier. It says, at that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to what? Pronounce blessings in his name as they do this to this day. This is a very important part of the priesthood. Our words are very important as priests of the Lord. The scripture tells us our words carry with it the power of life and death. And it says we'll eat that fruit. Whatever that fruit is that we're putting out there. We're going to eat it. We're told to speak blessings and not cursings. Scriptures tell us that blessing, not cursing, should come out of our mouth. And I've always loved this scripture from Malachi 2.7. It says, For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. We are to be those who preserve knowledge, the knowledge of God, and that we have the instruction of the Lord in our mouth, for we are to be the messengers of the Lord. And, you know, one of the things that, and again, this is a whole other teaching, but we have the power to bind and to loose by what we speak. We can either permit or we can forbid things. And I believe that's another place that the Lord wants to take us as priests of the Lord. What is coming out of our mouth? Lately, he's even had me saying where I'll say, well, um, this is going to happen. And he's been stopping me saying, say, no, say, it has happened, Janice. Stop even saying, is putting it in a future tense. He says, now is the day salvation. Put it in the present tense. And so I've been catching myself lately, you know, changing my words, knowing that my words have power. Your words have power. Okay, I also want us to go back and reread that last verse in Joshua 3. Uh, 
Okay. <clears throat> and this was at the very end. It says, Then the priest who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry gra ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. These priests stood firm on dry ground in the Jordan as Israel crossed safely over. You know, again, the priesthood carrying that presence stopped death, not just for themselves, but for others. And this brought to mind, you know, a very familiar passage that we all know about the armor of God. Um, and just for time's sake, I'm not going to read through it all. And again, I'm not going to explain all of them. But if you want to put it up there, Megan, okay. I'm going to mainly look at the highlighted parts here. In verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's that, the Lord's presence, his might, okay? Uh, and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, just like these priests do, that you can stand against the devil. <clears throat> And then it says down here, verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand, stand therefore. And then he, he talks about stand therefore in your armor. And he talks about it. I actually believe this armor is the New Testament priesthood's garments, robes. Because several things of it parallel the Old Testament priesthood. You know, the helmet of salvation as they wore that crown on their head and, and, and everything. And they had, you know, holy to the Lord, the breastplate that they wore. I believe this is our new garments that we are supposed to be wearing and robed up in as priests of the Lord. So I encourage you to, you know, if you, you to study that and let the Lord really speak to you about your priestly garments now that you are to wear. Um, and as it says in this last verse of this passage, it says that, that in this place of clothed, it says, praying always with all prayer and supplication of the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance, perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Again, as priests standing in that place, standing in that place of intercession, standing in your priestly garments, standing and interceding for the people, Seeing death rolled back. Seeing the things that make for death in people's lives rolled back. Um, so, you can go to the next side. So, I believe it is the priesthood carrying the presence of God, knowing his covenant with them, and walking in the authority of that covenant, full of the Holy Spirit, knowing him, having communed with him, and standing firm in their priestly garments, having done all that is going to defeat death. So I want to end on two last things from this Joshua 3 passage. First, from verse 4, going back into Joshua 3, verse 4. In that passage there, it says they were being told to wait on the presence of God and, God. and it was because, for you have not passed this way before. We have, we're in some unprecedented times, <laughs> you know, that there's not a precedent, really, 
for the things that are going on in the world right now, globally. There is not one. This is, we've not passed this way before. And to know what to do, we've got, we've got to go after the presence of God. We've got to have the presence of God. You can go to the next one. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. I believe this is the admonition of the Lord to us today in this unprecedented time that we are living in. You know, we've never passed this way before. And I believe we are to go after the priesthood and the presence of God so that we can see death defeated. Let's pray. Just wait on the Lord here. Father, just again, I just pray that these these words of yours, Lord, and what I believe is your prophetic message to us, Lord, concerning what's going on at this time, that it would take flight in our life. Holy Spirit, we need your oil. We need your oil right now. We need your oil to come and massage us, make us into a new wineskin that can contain not just more, Lord, but all of you, that you would be all in all of us, Lord. You would become that all. That we would walk in the fullness, the fullness that you have for us, the fullness of what it means to be a priest of the Lord. worship and we'll pray if you need um, ministry also if you would I, I always feel like there's value in in taking a step <laughs> and so too if you would just you know want to say Lord I, I want more of you I want this I want to walk as this Lord I want to defeat death I want to see these things in my life I just encourage you to come up front and just put your hands out and let him let him come and let him minister to you let him begin to speak to you and and um, 